Y'all can have a seat. My name is John Elmore. I have a new life in Christ, and I am recovering from uh, alcoholism, fear of man, and uh, for the past three months, COVID binging. It's not funny. I've gained 10 pounds. You're like, I know, we see. Uh, y'all, we, we, we want to welcome you to regeneration, and whether that's um, here in place again, or whether at home, as you're viewing on screen, we just thank you that we can join together as the body of Christ to encourage one another, to build each other up in the gospel that no one is beyond the reach of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who came that we would not have a better life, but a new life. And that's what regeneration is. It's a, it's a word, it's a theological term from a Greek term meaning born again. Not to have a better life, but a new life. And so everybody who's walking through these doors or tuning in online, that's what this is. It, it's not some uh, Christianese life hack, self-help group. There's no such thing. This, this, what this is, is an eternal loving God through his son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the spirit and his living and active word, setting captives free and giving us a new life, no matter what brought you through the door. And he will do it time and time and time again. And so tonight is a celebration, it's a reminder, uh, it will be conviction, it will be encouragement, all wrapped up in one, what God will do. There's a whole lot of people that have been praying for you, and we're excited to be with you tonight. Now, uh, this is important to say, we've got the auditorium open all the way to the second floor, uh, because we're in a strange time right now, we're in a global pandemic. And so for some of you, you feel the liberty to sit up front and sit right beside each other. For others, it's gonna, it's gonna feel a lot more comfortable to distance yourself. For others, you're gonna feel the freedom to not wear a mask. Uh, it's not required by law in a public space. And for others, you're gonna feel like, there's no way I'm going to Regen without a mask. And what I wanna, and, and, then, and then furthermore, there's some of you that are saying like, I'm, 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 I, I need to be at home because I live with an at-risk family member. I've got a pre-existing condition. I've read statistics that I have a conviction that that doesn't make it safe or wise for me. And, and people land on any variety of that spectrum. And that's okay. And the people in this room are not better or more right than the people in that room. And the people in that room are not better or more right. Like this is just something we're all navigating. There's no playbook for global pandemic. And so we're extending each other a lot of grace and knowing that everyone lands in a different place. And uh, we're going to love each other well. And so there's a lot of space, not just in this room. There's, there's 3,500 seats in this room at capacity. It looks like there's probably 400 here tonight. And um, from second floor to the, to the back. If, if you're more comfortable distancing, we'd encourage you, and it's okay to do so now. Like, dude, I sat down and somebody sat right beside me. It's okay to right now stand up and move back or move up. And, and glare at them and be like, what are you doing? Can't you see I didn't shake your hand? And, uh, it, it's okay. Like, move around. Get comfortable. And, um, and that's how it's going to be in, in the days to come. For those who are more comfortable, you, you're welcome to sit up front. For those who are less comfortable, sit up top or in the back and create space for them. If you're more comfortable and you just like sitting in the back, don't. And here's what I would say, too. Uh, lead, lead with a bump or an elbow or nothing at all. Don't leave with a handshake because others who are maybe not yet there or, or don't feel comfortable with that, they're going to feel maybe like, oh gosh, it's going to be weird now. They're extending their hands. So just don't do that. Like just greet each other with a, with a bump. 
And uh, scripture says with a, with a kiss, and we don't do that anymore, so it's okay that you don't shake hands anymore. Don't get, don't get all upset about that. It's uh, contextualized. But there's different ways you can show each other grace. And, uh, and this is going to happen not just in this room. Um, in case people listening at home, it's like, hey, I, I don't know. I want to I learn how you guys are doing that stuff. There's sanitizing stations throughout. We encourage you to use them. They're not decorations. Uh, in the rooms, in first-time guests, in groundwork, in your step groups, the seating is not normal. It's going to be spaced out. And, um, and that's clearly intentional. Thank you, facilities team. I just looked over at one of our staff members who had a hand in that to, to kind of reconfigure, reconfigure the whole building um, so that we're not, frankly, spitting on each other. I'm, I'm cognizant of that as these lights are on me and I've already, so splash zone, like it's okay if you move too. Uh, but just know that we're thinking as much as we can and it's not gonna be perfect. It's gonna be messy. It'll be hard. But the more that we can just like love each other through it and extend grace. And, and if you have ideas, uh, send them to, to regen at watermark.org. And we'll try to accommodate, but truly like uh, we're pretty, we're somewhat limited uh, because we're trying to accommodate a large group of people. But we're live streaming here. You're gonna have speaker phones probably in your group and live streaming there. It's gonna be clunky, but it's awesome because it's the body of Christ and the gospel will be cr- proclaimed. And so everybody cool with that? Everybody Good with just loving each other well. And... All right. Oh, and, and if somebody's got a mask on, like, don't get up in their face. Like, clearly there's something, you know, they're, they're taking precautions. And if you have a mask and they have one on, put yours on. I've got one in my back pocket. Um, just do what you can. So with that, you're like, why do you got a backpack? Because I like visuals. I'm a visual learner. So we're going to transition now to uh, the teaching. And... Um, here's what I would say about the teaching is uh, this has been a crazy year and we're only five and a half months in. Everybody was like, oh, 2020, this is going to be it. It's going to be so awesome. Well, awesome has two meanings. Like the world is in awe of the craziness um, that has happened and transpired in such a short amount of time. And I don't, I don't need to remind you of that, I don't think. I don't need to remind you that there's been a global pandemic and the entire world shut down for three months. That was weird. That doesn't happen a lot. Uh, many, many people have gotten sick, have lost family members. I was speaking at a conference, like, I don't know, a month ago. There were uh, 20 families, and two of them had lost family members to COVID, not just to circumstances, to COVID. Uh, that, so that's like pretty unnerving and sorrowful. And uh, I'm gonna imagine if we raised hands right now, there'd probably be like 25, 30% that said, yeah, I have like immediate family been affected by this. Um, so that's hard. People have statistically like mental illness Counselors are predicting there's going to be a tsunami of struggles because people have canceled their appointments. They're not going um, to get maybe medication that they're on to be regulated. Suicidal thoughts and statistics are on the rise. They already were anyway, but, you know, global pandemic, being shut in and not around others, losing your job, all these sorts of things tend to have a pretty profound effect on people. 
there's been um, sleeplessness, like, and probably in this room. I mean, it's just like, there's so many concerns and so much from the news, and it doesn't help that the news is sensationalizing some of this to try to get viewership, and it's just like undoing. And then on top of that, there has been a generational racial divide and inequality and injustice that has like come to the surface. And, and as Will Smith said, it's not that racism has increased, it's just being filmed now because everybody's got a handheld device. And so that's now like, I mean, our, ra- our, our nation has been upended in this. And uh, for some, I would imagine, of color are like, yeah, finally, finally, people are seeing, putting eyes on this and, and addressing it. And for others, it's like, man, I had no idea that you were walking with this daily. And so there's, there's just like so much that's going on right now on a global scale, on a national scale, on a local scale, and then on an individual scale. Because all those different things, and, and some of you left out, I mentioned it in brief, but like there's probably been unemployment. There's probably 25% that have been unemployed because that's nationally the statistic. 25 million people, maybe 30, I think, have been unemployed. Million people unemployed. That's crazy. Like, friends of mine are like, yeah, I'm, I'm out of work right now. And the stimulus check did not cut it for the three months plus. And so there's just a lot going on. And so for that reason, tonight we're going to talk about suffering, obstacles, and weaknesses. Because I think that's the state, I don't think, that's the state that we're in. And it's the state that we're in anyway, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether it's in the headlines or not, that is the state that God's given us. Because it says in Galatians 5 that the flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. That's weaknesses. It says that in Acts 24 that we must enter the kingdom of God. Not that we might, but that we must enter the kingdom of God by many trials and tribulations. The, the prosperity gospel preachers, uh, in trying to draw themselves crowds and thus money, will say, hey, you know, best life now, all the crap that you hear. Well, the New Testament, what it promises is that you will have suffering, affliction, trial, tribulation, persecution, that that is the path of the believer and that the sufferings of Christ will overflow to you. And so it's no surprise, no shock when that does happen to us, except for the fact that we live in America and so it is kind of surprising and shocking. You're like, wait, pursuit of happiness and what's going on? Like we can, we can throw credit cards at things and we can solve this superpower. And yet we can't because God has allowed these things, even ordained some of them. And so I want to talk about tonight the suffering obstacles and weaknesses. And I think here's why is like, everybody's going to wrestle with them. When you say like, why did God allow this suffering in my life? And you have it. Nobody's escaping that one. You have suffering in your life, present or past, or you're certainly going to have it in the future. And why did God allow this? If he is omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent, and he is all-knowing, then why didn't he intervene? It's a good question. I'm going to answer that tonight. Why won't he move the obstacle that I'm facing? You said if I had a faith, I could move mountains. I could say to the mountain, cast yourself in the sea, and there's this obstacle in my way, and you're not moving it. And I prayed about it. And I'm living according to your word, and I give, and I serve, and the obstacle remains, God. 
you're all powerful, or maybe you're not. And you're gonna wrestle with that question when you're faced with an obstacle. And finally, the weaknesses. Like, I have this weakness, particularly sin struggle, weakness, this thing that I'm prone to, like I am drawn to it and I don't have power over it. It's probably why you're in the doors tonight or watching online. And if you could take away the weakness, why won't you? Like, this is not a good thing. It's not according to your will. It's a sin struggle of mine, and it remains. Wouldn't it be good and right if you would take away this weakness, and yet it remains? Why doesn't it? And so we're going to talk about suffering, obstacles, and weaknesses. And here's the short answer. For your good and for God's glory. For your good and for God's glory. I want to show you some of these items that I put up here on the table because you're like, dude, why'd you bring in a doorknob? Because at the age of three or four, and I don't, I don't know because um, I just know the house and the neighborhood that I was living in, but I was locked in a bathroom and sexually abused when I was a little kid. And so that's been some of the suffering in my life. Um, some of the obstacles that I've had, well, here's this one, this backpack. This wasn't just to carry my stuff. I was on a mission trip in Trinidad. Backpack, wallet, all my clothes, passport, cell phone, and uh, in the room that I was in, praise God they didn't kill me, but they took my backpack. Like I woke up the next morning, gone, all of it. Kind of a big obstacle when you're there on a mission trip and you spend the rest of the time in the United States embassy trying to prove that you're a citizen. Huge obstacle. Um, and not very helpful to the reason why I was there, which was to make disciples and share the gospel. And then a weakness. Uh, anybody see one of these? Yeah. So if it's Alcoholic Anonymous... Why did they put it in large font and gold letters? That's not helpful. I'm like, could you have made it any bigger? Like, why not just wrap it all the way around? It's like anything but anonymous, this big gold letters. But that's one of my, that's one of my weaknesses is alcoholism uh, from 18 to 30. And it was a struggle and a weakness, and it owned me. The other thing that I got up here is uh, eczema cream. I don't have eczema cream, but this is a struggle of my two-year-old son. He is covered in scratches where he just, I mean, cuts, he, he scratches his skin off his body until he bleeds because of his eczema. We pray for him daily. Others in this room have been praying for him, and, um, and that's, that's a lot of suffering. And then the other thing that I've got here that I carry around in every pocket of every pair of jeans or shorts that I wear is 50 milligrams of sumatriptan because I get migraines. And that's, that's just part of the fall that's afflicting me too, where I get these debilitating migraines. It makes me want to throw up. And, uh, and you could stand up here and, and tell everybody all of yours. You'd, you'd have a whole lot of items to show as well because nobody is going through this life without those things. I wanna talk about what um, God did with the Bible. So like you think about, okay, so God wants to redeem all of mankind. How's he gonna do it? What's he gonna do? Um, he's probably just like, calm everybody down, announce the savior. It'll just be easy, right? Like Jesus can just come on the scene. Why does he have to go through all this stuff? Why the Old Testament? Why Genesis through Malachi? Like that doesn't seem necessary. And yet, when he does it, he enters into the fall in mankind. And so when he's like, all right, well, I need to build up a nation, the nation who I am going to make a light unto the nations from that nation, the Jews, the Israelites, I'm going to write the Old Testament scriptures. Those are going to contain all the prophecies. And from that bloodline will come the Savior, the anointed one, the Christos, the Messiah. And he'll be the one that will redeem and ransom the world. He's got to come from somewhere. 
because I need the Savior to take on flesh, God in flesh, to die for that whom he came to save. So I need fully God, fully man, to die for these fully mankind in a great exchange. He made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. How am I going to do that? Why not just send him down, give him flesh? Well, here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to take a little boy named Joseph, and I'm going to make him a slave. I'm going to allow him. I'm not going to make him a slave. I'm going to have his brothers sell him into slavery. He's going to go down to Egypt, and his brothers are going to come because of a famine. This is the story of Joseph and Jacob. And they're going to come down to Egypt, 70 in all. And then I'm going to let him be enslaved for 400 years. Dude, that sounds like a horrible idea. 400 years sold into slavery? Isn't there an easier way? Well, during those 400 years, they're going to grow from 70 to 2 million because they're not going to be able to go into the promised land and subdue the promised land as 70 people. So I got to grow them and I'm going to grow them over time. But they're going to be oppressed and they got to be oppressed because the superpower, Egypt, who is being evil against other nations, I've got to inflict righteous judgment on them. So as they walk out, they're not equipped in war. They've been enslaved for 400 years. I'm going to walk them through a sea and I'm going to crush that enemy. Now, it's also going to be 400 years because there's this country called the Amorites who live in the promised land and it would be unjust to just wipe them out except for the fact that for 400 years they're going to be living as child sacrificers and living in a horrific, sinful state in rebellion against me. So when they are killed, it will be just. And so it's all this like crazy story of suffering. And from there comes the Messiah whose bloodline leads back to Rahab the prostitute. And in Isaiah 53, it says he's a man of sorrows acquainted with suffering. A man from whom men hid their faces. Sorrows, suffering, obstacles, weakness. God in flesh, letting people tear out his beard, pierce his hands and feet, put a crown of thorns on him. Isn't there an easier way? But he's like, this is how I'm gonna redeem mankind. And, and God himself enters into our suffering because that is the path that we have as the result of the fall, but he's gonna redeem it. And we know this too, from our own history, that's from the Bible, but from history, like as you think about history, everybody loves the Cinderella story rather than the entitled heiress story. We love the rags to riches story rather than the silver spoon son of affluenza story. Nobody knows who the prime minister was after Winston Churchill. Anybody know who he was? Nobody. Nobody knows who the prime minister after Winston Churchill was. Does anybody know who Winston Churchill is? Everybody. Because that prime minister led during suffering. Anthony Eden is the, his, the one's, his successor, is that what it's called? That's who followed after him, Anthony Eden. Nobody knows who he is. Nobody cares who he is. Germany had been subdued. The country was at peace. But the one who led through incredible suffering when their country was almost eradicated by the German raids of bombings, the one who stood in steadfastness, unwavering, who would get out of the bunker and smoke a cigar in the park in between bombing raids, in the face of affliction and impossible odds, they're an island for crying out loud, England, but stood against this sweep across Europe. That one has been etched into the annals of history. 
and will not be forgotten. We all love these stories of the underdog who against impossible odds went through suffering. It's how God has wired us because we're all acquainted with it. Suffering, obstacles, and weakness. Where a people called by God for his glory put on display, heavenly supernatural display. The cosmic world is watching like Job to Satan, I mean Satan to God about Job. Like, ah, it's because you've, you've given him everything. In the same way, God revealed that in Job that we might also read and be like, oh, that's what's happening. We're on cosmic display, angels, demons, God, and him saying like, they'll show me allegiance. Through suffering, obstacles, and weakness, they'll show me allegiance, their love for me. Just watch. And we do, we'll persevere by the power of the Spirit and with the encouragement of each other. 1 Peter 4.19 says, Therefore, let those who suffer, who is all, according to God's will. Your suffering is sovereignly allowed by God's will. There's some good theology for you. It's according to God's will. All the evil that has ever happened to you, the racism, the abuse, the injustice, the loss, it was according to God's will. He allowed it. He does know evil, but he does allow it, even ordering it sometimes. What Satan means for harm, God uses for good for the saving of many lives. And you're going to see that. According to God's will, entrust their souls to their faithful creator while doing good. You don't just hide in your bunker, hide in your self-pity. But it says, I'm going to trust myself to God while still advancing forward, Winston Churchill, while doing good. So if you are in Christ, entrust your pain to the purpose and providence of God because he will redeem it. The first one, and I'm going to have to hustle. My team's laughing at me right now. They're like, you always go long. And they're like, and you don't have time to make jokes about always going long. Get on with it. <laughs> Suffering. First one, suffering will shape you and give you a message to share. Suffering will shape you into the image of Christ and give you a message to share, which is Christ. So the question is, will you entrust yourselves to an all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God, or will you reject him and curse him for not intervening? Which was what Job's wife said to Job, curse God and die. All the loss, forget it. And instead, he shaved his head, tore his clothes, ashes fell to the ground, and worshiped God. And so you think about, um, I'm going to skip one. Think about abuse. So you think about this. What happened to me? This happened at three or four years old, possibly five. And I didn't share about it until I was 30 years old. And when I first shared about it, I was shaking, heart pounding. I didn't even write it on my inventory on step four. I just wrote like, I don't even know, like my initials and uh, the neighborhood that I lived in because I was like, I'm taking that one to the grave. I was so ashamed of the abuse that had been done to me. Like, why didn't I speak up? Why didn't I run? Why didn't I pound on the door? Why didn't I fight him? Like, why did I just freeze? And I know some of you probably wrestled with that too. And I only shared it with my mentor at step five, confessed that one time. And then I was like, all right, done, shared it. And then, I, and then I ended up here. And I was like, how can I not share that? 
Because statistically, it's one in six men. And statistically, it's one in three women that have been abused. How could I not share that? There's men, my brothers in Christ and women, who are sitting in a prison of shame and hurt just like I was for 25 years. And for you, maybe longer. And I was like, screw it. Screw it, Satan. I'm sharing it. And even still, when I share it, like there's still this, oh gosh, there's still this feeling, still. And I'm like, screw it. I'm gonna share it. Because somebody else has been through it and, and it's shaping me into the image of Christ, allowing me to be like put to death the pride or, or thought that like that somehow is emasculating of me. My identity's in Christ, not in that. And then gives me, gives me a message to share that others have been through that too. Or maybe they've been the abuser. And I confronted my abuser and said like, hey, that's not okay, but I want you to know I forgive you. And there's abusers in the room. And sometimes the abused become the abuser. Like it's just this crazy, terrible mess. And Jesus heals it all. But it'll shape you under the image of Christ and it'll give you a message if you will give it to him. See, for 25 years, I didn't. I was like, you don't touch that. You can save me from hell. I'm not talking about bad hell. You give it to him. Instead of gripping it, you open your fist to him and you give him your suffering and he will redeem it. He promises to. Romans 5 talks about how, Romans 5 1 Peter 1 and James 1, we don't have time, talks about how he shapes you like a master sculptor, Michelangelo chiseling the David, like taking away everything that doesn't belong there. And he shapes you, not just because he shapes you, but he shapes you through a chisel of suffering. And it's not because God is twisted and sadistic. It's because Satan is and God will redeem your pain. It's because we sin against each other and God will redeem that pain. He'll redeem it all. He'll take that suffering and redeem it and use it for good. Ah, shoot. Jesus said it. My father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. Matthew 26, 39. Jesus in the garden, sweating blood, about to go to the cross, God in flesh. They're gonna kill me, Father. Let this cup pass. It's, it's right for you in suffering to say, let this cup pass, Father. But as your author and perfecter of the faith said, not as my will, but your will be done. That's good and right. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says that the God of all comfort comforts me in my affliction so that I can comfort those in any affliction. And, and it doesn't always have to be, well, I was sexually abused, so I can minister to you in your sexual abuse. Someone could have been um, a heroin addict, and you can still minister to them, though you've not shot heroin. David, can I minister to you, though I've not done the drugs you've done? Because the God of all comfort comforted me in my afflictions so that I can comfort him in his afflictions. It, it, it's part of why he comforted us was to give you that message. He shapes you in your suffering and give you a message to share. These are, these are bullet casings from Sudan right here. Um, 
I think that one's anti-aircraft, and these are just from like AK-47, but all over the streets of Sudan, those are littering the streets. And I was over there because I heard that there were alcoholics in Sudan as a result of the civil war because of their pain. They were just drinking all the time. So I was like, well, I, then I got to go to Sudan and I got to tell these alcoholics about Jesus. And, and you think about the suffering of that civil war. This is like Darfur, you know, that you remember? The suffering of that civil war. Like what good could come from that? Well, what good could come from the alcoholism from the civil war? Well, some dude, some broke seminary student in Dallas heard about it and bought a ticket to Sudan to start a 12-step group that P.S. fizzled out after three months. And I was like, well, I guess, I guess I heard God wrong. I guess I didn't do it right. I guess I suck at what I do. And then the guy after me was like, hey, did you know that um, three church planners came out of your group of alcoholics? And I was like, what? There's some good that came from suffering. Suffering will shape you and give you a message. Obstacles, obstacles are allowed, even ordered by an omnipotent God. We said earlier, it's like, dude, if you, God, if you can move mountains, why don't you move this obstacle? It's clearly in my way because you have the power. You're all good. You're all seeing. You're ever present. And it's in my way. And you see time and time again in scripture that he doesn't. This was, this was an obstacle. I was on a mission trip in, in Trinidad to share the gospel and make, make disciples at an AIDS uh, shelter, like residential place because they, the community had excluded them from society like lepers. And we're like, you have AIDS, you live there. We're like, well, we'll go show the gospel with them. Um, to a boy's prison, they were minors in prison, um, Muslims, Hindus, and Christians. And they allowed us to go in and share the gospel. Uh, and then to like a disabled community and to go and share the gospel and minister to them and my bag gets stolen on the second day. I was only four months sober. It's like, God, are you serious? I'm trying. Why the obstacle? Now I've got to spend the rest of the time in the embassy just so I can get out. And it didn't occur to me until 12 years later. See, in my backpack, I also had plans to go to Venezuela. I was like, I had quit my job after my alcoholism and getting sober. I'd quit my job. And so I was like, dude, I got time. I'm gonna go see Angels Falls in Venezuela. I'm gonna backpack through South America. And there was this obstacle. I think God providentially, sovereignly, even ordered that obstacle of like, no boy, you're not going to Venezuela. Because you know what happened? Because I couldn't backpack as an unemployed, carefree, newly sober person. I had to go back on this mission trip with the people I was with. And they're like, well, hey, since you're not going to South America, why don't you come to Branson, Missouri with us? I'm like, Branson, Missouri? I, we've already taught the point about suffering. We're now into obstacles. And, uh, and I did. And the rest of my life pivoted and changed courses. I was in business before. I was in advertising and then sales. And I was interviewing for business roles. And they were a part of this nine-month discipleship program called the Canacuck Institute in Branson, Missouri. And I, was, and, and, and I literally used to make fun of the guy who worked there. Because I thought he quit like a big four accounting firm to go work at this discipleship program in Branson. I would make fun of him as a drunk. I'm like, dude, get in the game. What are you doing? But God, I think, had my bag stolen. He didn't steal it. He didn't do it. But he had ordained it and allowed it. He used that evil to redirect my life to go be discipled at this place. And two weeks in, I felt a call from the Lord like, 
You're gonna spend the rest of your life telling people that Jesus is real, you're never too far gone, and he can change everything. Because my backpack got stolen. Are you kidding me? It's crazy. So whatever obstacle you're facing right now, just know if he could remove it and you've prayed about it, he either will or he's gonna leave it there, but he's leaving it there for a purpose. My wife and I were going to Mexico once for like an anniversary and the landing gear was broken, which we were kind of glad that we didn't take off because they're like, we need to repair the landing gear. But it screwed up like our whole front end of the vacation. And when we arrived there, we're just kind of like mad. And man, we paid so much for this place. And we lost a whole day, a whole day sitting on this hot plane as they're fixing landing gear, which is kind of important. So we should have been thankful, but we weren't. And then we finally land and we're like, the, the drivers were mixed up. And so finally they're like, hey, you. And we get on this thing, and I'm like, dude, we're about to, get, I don't know, where this guy, he probably doesn't even know where we're going. And, and uh, Laura looks at me like, you going to do this or am I? I was like, oh, shoot, passivity and pissed off. <laughs> I was like, hey, so uh, you got a faith? <laughs> and he starts weeping. He's like, I don't know. My daughter was raped in the school that she's in, and I'm the one that put her in the school, and I'm the one that even, we know the teacher. I feel like it's my fault. As a dad, I didn't protect. And I get to share the story about my abuse and our healing in Christ, and that that, there will be justice, whether that teacher places his faith in Christ and gets the wrath is poured out on Jesus or eternally in hell. But justice will be dealt. And, and he was like, I'm going to kill him. And I was like, if you do, then the evil continues. And it's because of the freaking landing gear. God's obstacle. Don't fight against the obstacles. They're allowed, even ordained by an omnipotent God. And you're like, is that in the scriptures? Mark 5, it's one of my favorite stories in scripture. As Jesus was getting to the boat, so he goes and delivers the man from the legion of demons. All throughout scriptures, Jesus is like, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. This guy actually says, can I follow you? And he says, no, which is really weird. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him. That had to have been weird. But said, so there's an obstacle, an obstacle from Jesus himself. But he said, go home to your own people. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So, obstacle, the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, the 10 cities of Rome there in Judea, how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Because of that obstacle, like, really, God, I can't follow you? That's the obstacle? I've got to go tell people? that I was possessed by demons living among the tombs, cutting myself, the whole pig story, that's what you want me to go do? We're gonna meet people in heaven from the Decapolis and be like, how, so how'd you get here? How'd you find out about Jesus? Oh, the crazy naked demoniac. <laughs> because of the obstacle. The question is, will someone be in heaven because of you and your obstacle? Or will you just be angry about it the rest of your life? Or will you let God flip the script and be like, I don't know. Man, the obstacle, 
that I never got reconciled back to my wife, the obstacle that I never got married, the obstacle that I never had children, the obstacle that my car broke down, the obstacle that I just got unemployed because of COVID, the obstacle, whatever it may be that you're facing, that mountain that God's not removing, you'll either stare at it the rest of your life, angry that God won't move the mountain, or you'll be like, maybe that mountain's there for a reason. So that I stay here, so that Ivan, the cab driver in Mexico, so that I go to Branson, Missouri for nine months and my life changes. Maybe this obstacle's here even ordered by God himself. I'm not gonna rage against it. I'll pray, God move the mountain. And if you don't, I'm gonna start looking around at who lives around that mountain that I could tell about Jesus. Because I think he's got you there for a reason. Paul was trying to go to Rome. They go through this craziest storm and he ends up in Malta. What? He didn't wanna go to Malta. But he went and shared Jesus with Publius and healed his father and a bunch of other people because of an obstacle of a shipwreck. It's also weakness. Weakness should result in worship. Your weakness should result in worship. I was um, at a different conference and this person was asking the panel and they said, hey, why doesn't, if, if God could, why won't he remove my struggle? I've prayed about it. Why won't he remove my struggle? And there was like a long, awkward silence. And I didn't say this, I wanted to. It's like, cause you're not dead. Like you're gonna struggle the rest of your life. And if it wasn't your same sex attraction, it would be your porn addiction. And if it wasn't that, you'd be your controlling nagging against your husband. And if it wasn't that, it'd be your rage against your children. And if it wasn't that, it would be, it's like we don't stop sins, we swap sins. And that's gonna be our lot in life. And anybody tells you that you can reach perfection this side of heaven is a liar and they haven't read Galatians 5, and they haven't read Romans 7. But our weakness should result in worship. It's, it's what God does, is he creates daily dependency upon us. Like, you, you will be removed from the penalty of sin, but not the presence of sin. That's later. The penalty has been removed, even the power, Romans 6, but the presence, that's not till later. And so you're going to be daily dependent on me for this. Um, this has been, this, this thing that I was so ashamed of, I used to hide this when I was living with my roommate, first going to AA, I would hide it. And now it's the thing I talk about the most because it allows me to talk about my Savior the most. Uh, this has been the greatest gift in my Christian life. How crazy is that? Alcoholism has been the greatest gift to me to give me a platform to talk about Christ. And when I say platform, I don't mean this stage. I mean anybody who will listen. On Friday, I was in South Dallas and must have told 10 people about my alcoholism because nobody needs a savior apart from their sin. I sure didn't. I didn't need or want Jesus apart from my sin. But once I realized I was a sinner in need of saving, I needed Jesus. And what I know about the other 7.5 million people on this earth is that they have that as the common denominator. No matter where they live, what ethnicity, what income, what job or lack thereof, what marital status, everybody's a sinner, so everybody needs Jesus. My mom asked me once, they're like, she's like, why do you always talk about your alcoholism? And I was like, I always will. Because my sin is how I talk about my savior. And so I will for the rest of my life because it allows, when I talk about mine, it allows others to talk about theirs. 
Paul wrote about his weakness in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, i.e. pride, a weakness, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan sent to torment me. Now, you should ask yourself, like, wait, Satan doesn't want to keep Paul from becoming proud. Satan wants Paul to be proud. But it was a messenger of Satan sent to torment me. God's not into the business of tormenting. So who sent or allowed the thorn in the flesh? God or Satan? Well, the answer is yes. It was a messenger of Satan. That was the ori- Satan is the originator of evil. He's the one who sent it, but nothing happens al- apart from God allowing it. So God allowed it and repurposed it, re-engineered it to keep Paul from becoming proud, to keep him in daily dependence, to keep him from becoming conceited. Satan wanted to use it to like torment him and derail him. God wanted to use it to grow him into dependence upon him daily. Paul, you're gonna walk with a thorn because three times he pleaded, Jesus, take this thorn away. And he said, I'm not going to, Paul. My grace is sufficient. My strength will be made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I'll boast all the more in my weakness. For when I do, the strength of Christ rests upon me. And if you haven't been tracking, suffering, obstacles, and weakness spells so, S-O-W. Because these are the things that God is going to use in your life to share Jesus with others. Because everybody, everybody is dealing with suffering, obstacles, and weaknesses. And if you don't talk about them, neither will anybody else. So as you open that clenched hand and are like, all right, God, take my addiction, take my divorce, take my abuse, take the racism I've suffered, take all of my suffering, take all these obstacles, take all of this weakness that I am subject to. God will take it and use it for your good. He'll redeem it in the most amazing, crazy way you could ever imagine. Bullets. Are you kidding? He'll use it for the saving of others' lives. It'll be for your good his glory, and the salvation of souls. That's how he will sow the seeds of the gospel. And you're gonna see miracles through some of the most incredible things, some of the most incredibly hurtful things that are on your inventory that were done to you and that were self-inflicted. Give it all to him. Not my will, but your will be done and it will be a thing of beauty. And I don't want you to think that every single thing in my life is buttoned up. Like, well, good for you, you know. You got your alcoholisms all cleaned up. The abuse. Got to go over to Sudan. This one's not. My little boy's covered in scrap. People stop us in public and say, what's wrong with him? They, they, they keep their kids away from him because it looks like he's got some affliction that could be contagious because they get infected because he's a two-year-old. And when I've got, this is one bottle, I, I, I just grab this one because it's no good. So somebody can actually have it. It smells terrible too. <laughs> we've got 12 of those and we've been to 12 doctors. And we, we, that's undone. The, the migraines, they're still there. My wife's OCD, it's still there. But I've learned like, all right, you're gonna do something. 
And maybe I won't even see it in this life. Maybe it'll be in the next. Maybe I won't even see all the promises fulfilled, but I trust you. I trust you, so it's yours. It's yours. Do something awesome. Let me pray. Um, Father, thank you for the fact that you are sovereign over all and we can trust that nothing, nothing happens apart from your sovereignty and that doesn't make you an author of evil. It doesn't make you sadistic. It makes you trustworthy and that you flip the script all the time and you redeem, you've written a crazy history book of the most unfathomable evil that has ever been committed in mankind, you wrote it down in a book inspired by the spirit of how you redeem evil. Through Jesus, you gave us the most incredible example of how suffering, obstacles, and weakness you used for the salvation of mankind. And so we just thank you. And then specifically, I pray for boldness and humility for my brothers and sisters who are listening to this message or whoever will, that they would unclench their hand and lay all these things out on a table before you and say, not my will, but your will be done. Use it for the gospel. Use the racism for the gospel. Use the abuse for the gospel. Use the, the divorce for the gospel. Use the infertility for the gospel. Use the death of a loved one for the gospel. Use what I did that was evil for the gospel, for the saving of many lives. And I know that you will because you promise in Romans 8, 28, you work all things for good for those who are in Christ. So do what only you can do. Amen.